This Friday, the United States of America, generally, our, our, our culture, our public, we're going to start caring all of a sudden about the highest levels of swimming, track and field, and gymnastics. What do you mean, Father? We as a country are all of a sudden going to start rooting for the highest levels of swimming, track and field, and gymnastics. Because Friday is the opening ceremonies of the Olympics, and every four years, we all of a sudden start to worry about swimming, track and field, and gymnastics. I, I, I enjoy the Olympics. I always have enjoyed the Olympics. Um, it's just sports for two weeks straight, and I can get behind anything if you give me a reason to watch, right? Um, I think my typical way of watching the Olympics is I will tune in to the opening ceremonies. I will tune in to the other, the, the other events throughout the weeks. Um, as long as I see the stars and stripes represented somewhere in the medal round. If it's outside of that, I really don't care about that event, right? I never really care about the biathlon, which is just skiing and a drive-by. Like, that doesn't work, right? Because we never place in that. I don't care about that. But I care about gymnastics because our girls are always going to be there at the end, right? I always care about women's soccer. Why? Because the, our girls are going to be there at the end. I, I care about basketball because our guys are going to have a chance at a medal. Like, that, that's the stuff that I watch. That's the stuff I'm really concerned about. In fact, in my life, I can look back and there's iconic images in my life that I remember seeing around the Olympics. Like, for example, I remember uh, Michael Phelps winning and winning and winning and winning for Olympics after Olympics after Olympics and just setting a new record for the amount of medals that a, a human being has won in the Olympics. World's greatest swimmer of all time. If I, if I go back a little bit further, while I wasn't an American, I still remember being riveted by watching Usain Bolt run. Especially whenever he runs the 100 meter, and for 95 of those meters, he cares, and then for the last five, he celebrates because he's so far ahead of everybody else, and he still sets a world record. I remember, uh, even as a younger kid, watching the Olympics in 1996, the iconic image of Carrie Strug doing her vault on one leg. Landing a perfect vault, winning the gold medal, and the beautiful image of her coach holding her on the medal stand because she couldn't stand up. But out of all of those images, about all of those moments from the Olympics in my lifetime that I can remember, there's one that really sticks out, and there's one that has made probably a bigger effect on the world's athletics than anything else. And that's 1992, when there was a decision made to allow professionals to play basketball in the Olympics. And the United States fielded the greatest team ever in any sport, the Dream Team. Now with the Dream Team, you had Magic Johnson and Larry Bird, who basically carried the NBA through the 80s. They decided to play. But you also had the hot, had the hot shots and the young guys like Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Clyde Drexler, Charles Barkley, who was not only an Olympian-level basketball player, but an Olympian-level trash talker, right? David Robinson, Patrick Ewing, Rich Mullins, you just go down the list. Even Christian Leitner, who was the token college kid, who they just put at the end of the bench and let him run, right? 
I remember I was watching a, a documentary on the Dream Team, though, from 1992, uh, the 1992 Dream Team, and they were going through all of their training and their recruiting and everything else that they did to put this team together. And the clips that I remember seeing out of Barcelona from, from the Olympics was unbelievable. They had people waiting for them outside of their hotel rooms, in the lobby, on the street, people just standing there with the little throwaway disposable cameras. And for people of a certain age group, disposable cameras is what people used before their phone had a camera on it, okay? But before a cell phone even existed, all right? So, but like people were just, they just wanted to get a glimpse of this group of the best basketball players of all time, Hall of Famer after Hall of Famer. They just wanted to see them, and they wanted to be around them, and they wanted to recognize them, and they wanted to say that they met them. The crowds would just wait for them. There was this one moment that was in this, in this documentary that I was watching, and there was a basketball player, uh, one, of the, one of the point guards on the team, by the name of John Stockton. John Stockton played for the Utah Jazz. John Stockton is a 6'1 white guy and looks nothing like a basketball player. He looks like an accountant, all right? And one day, John Stockton and his family got tired of all the fanfare, so he said, I'm going for a walk. So him, his wife, and his kids, they just went for a walk down the main street of Barcelona. And no one cared. As he walked, there was no kind of fanfare. As he walked, there was no kind of, no kind of, of, of crowds or anybody pressing in on him, looking for an autograph or even recognizing him. No one cared. He got to be a normal guy because he was away from the rest of the team. In fact, as he was walking, at one moment, he was, had a video camera, and it's so amazing that he caught this on camera, but it was in the documentary. He's walking, and he sees this young woman coming down the street, and she's got an American flag draped over her back like a cape, and she's got a t-shirt of the Dream Team. Their faces are on the shirt. She's a huge fan. And what happens? He walks down the street, he sees her, and he asks, how you doing? Are you American? Absolutely. Yes, I am. Oh, you like basketball? Yeah. The Dream Team, they're really good, aren't they? Yeah, she's talking to the point guard. Just letting you know. She has this conversation with him, and at one point he says, who's your favorite player? And they, she's saying like, oh yeah, we saw Charles Barkley the other day. I love Michael Jordan, all this stuff. John Stockton's kid is standing there, looks and says, that's my daddy points at his face on her shirt. And he goes, yeah, it is your daddy. And then it hits her. Oh, I'm talking to one of the players right now. She turns a bright shade of red. She feels embarrassed. Oh, I'm sorry. I think what happens is that she, as, in a, lot, as a lot of people did, they bought into the fanfare of what was going on. They bought into the team, they bought into the movement, they bought into the excitement, but they didn't necessarily know the player. They bought into the excitement, but they didn't recognize the person that's standing right in front of them. I have a feeling that today in our gospel, we hear that this crowd is, is pressing in. They are trying to be in touch with the disciples. They hear about all the things that are going on around from their, their, their ministry. 
Last week we heard that Jesus sends his disciples out two by two, and he sent them out to go and preach the gospel, to go and heal people, to go and bring about miracles to the people that needed it. And they go out all over the place. And I got a feeling that it, most likely Jerusalem, Judea, all of these areas, they probably worked like the like Cajun culture, and everybody started to talk, and everybody started to know everybody's business, and, the, and what ended up happening is, is that they got a reputation in the area that these guys are bringing about some powerful things through their preaching and their healing. And people got really excited, and they wanted to be around them. They wanted, to, they, wanted to, they wanted to hear them. They wanted to see them. Or they were curious and they were just interested. And they saw a lot of people moving one way and they wanted to be around it. They wanted to be a part of the movement. But Jesus recognizes something in today's gospel. That while, they're, while these crowds are notorious and while these crowds are pushing and they're, they're not stopping, Jesus recognizes for a moment that they're sheep without a shepherd. Because even though they want to be part of the movement, even though they feel like they're part of the crowd, they feel like they're part of the flock, they don't know the shepherd. And they don't know the shepherd's voice. And they don't recognize him. In the 1800s, entertainment was a lot different than it is today. understatement of the year. Um, 200 years ago, the inter- entertainment was a lot different than it is today. Um, the, 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 there weren't movies, there wasn't music, computers, no, TVs, no. There, there wasn't the things that we use to entertain ourselves today. A good book might come out every so often, but for the most part, it, there, there was a lot less coerced entertainment, if you will. In the 1800s, there was this movement, though, that, in, that went on where groups of actors would get together And they would travel from city to city selling tickets, almost like a circus, if you will. But they would get together and they would travel from city to city. And what they would do is they would perform in town halls and in city squares. And they would perform famous famous scenes from plays. or They would recite poetry. They would recite these different major works in the history of of our world. And that was their way of kind of bringing about entertainment. It was a way to make a living. Well, at the end of one of these shows, an actor stood in front of this crowd, and he looked at everybody, and he said, I want to take any requests that you have. What, was it, what is it that you might want me to recite, or what is it that you might want me to, to, you know, to perform for you? And in the back of the crowd, there was a priest from that town. He raised his hand, actor calls on him, says, yes, sir, what would you like? He says... Recite Psalm 23 for us. Psalm 23, it's probably the most famous of all the Psalms. We prayed it today. If you've ever been to a funeral, chances are you've heard it. It's just a very beautiful Psalm, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want fresh, fresh in, or, the, or the pastures where he gives me repose. All, all of this beautiful imagery of reliance on God. The actor standing in front of everyone looks at him and says, Okay, I will do it under one condition, Father. I'll recite the psalm if you do it after me. The priest kind of taken aback says, sure. So sure enough, the actor starts. 
He guides me in right paths and for his name's sake. And he does all these rhetorical devices. He's using the right inflection. He's passionate when he needs to be. He's got the holy whisper when he needs to be. Like all of these things, he's using all of this linguistic, like all of his experience is coming out. And he does this beautiful recitation of Psalm 23. And when he gets to the end, the people have been riveted and they stand up and applaud. Celebrating and excited. Beautiful, wonderful, great performance. And after the crowd calms down, he looks at the priest and he says, Father, come on up. It's your turn. And the priest starts. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. In verdant pastures, he gives me repose. And in his recitation, in his proclaiming this psalm, he doesn't have all of the fancy rhetorical devices. But at the end, he comes to the end of the psalm and he says, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord for years to come. The room remained silent. And the only thing you could hear was the sniffling of a nose or the, pat, the reaching for a handkerchief to wipe tears from people's eyes. The actor stood back up in front of everyone. He looks at the priest, or he looks at the crowd and he says, I know the psalm. I know the words. He, pointing to the priest, knows the shepherd. Do we know the words? Do we know the things we're supposed to do? Or do we know the shepherd? Like if you reflect for a moment on your life, on your faith, on how it is that you exercise your faith, the fact that you're here and probably bringing your kids and with your family on a Sunday morning, beautiful. But are we here to check a box? Or are we here to meet the shepherd? Are we here because we're supposed to? Do we say the words that we say today because we're supposed to? Do we stand and sit and kneel in all the things, the Catholic calisthenics, because we're supposed to? Or are we here to meet the shepherd? To meet a person? I think a lot of times we can be so caught up and all the noise of the world, and all the externals of our world, and the externals of social media, the noise of the political sphere, everything around us that just swirls and yells and screams and becomes static between us and God, interference between our us and our relationship with God, that we can think that this is all it's about. But in reality, shepherds waiting. In reality, behind all of this stuff that's passing and pointless, there's still a person that's concerned about meeting you today. When we pray this psalm today, the words we sang, the Lord is my shepherd, there is nothing I shall want. Do we believe those words? 
I shall want for nothing. I shall desire nothing than what my God has to give me. Sheep are helpless animals. They can't fend for themselves. Do we take that, sta- do we take that stance of helplessness before our God and allow Him to give? Do we trust that He will Do we trust that He will provide for us? Today's gospel is the last time for a couple of weeks that we're going to hear from the gospel of Mark. Why is that important? Because the story, we kind of shift a little bit next week, and the story continues, the narrative continues, but we start to reflect on it from the gospel of John. Because right now we're on the cusp of Jesus of Jesus multiplying the fish and the loaves and feeding the 5,000. So when Jesus sees these people before him that are like sheep without a shepherd, he sees that they are starving. He sees that they are hungry, not only for food, but for him, for what he has for them. He sees that they're coming to him weak, and they're coming to him needing sustenance. And over the next few weeks... We break open the sixth chapter of John's Gospel, which is all about the Eucharist, where we find true food and true sustenance, not only for our bodies, but for our faith. Today, when we come before our Lord, we have a God who's willing and ready to provide for us again, to give us the deepest desires of our heart, the things that we need most, He's ready to provide. He sees us again, starving and hungry for him. A good shepherd does not abandon his sheep. A good shepherd provides for his sheep, protects his sheep, and gives them food to eat. The more we draw closer to the good shepherd, the more we look like him. The more we act like him. The more we become and reflect him to the rest of the world. So when we come today, do we come just with ritual? Knowing the words, knowing when to stand and sit, knowing what to do? Or do we come seeking a person? A person who stands behind and above all the, all the discord of this world. May we never forget to recognize the person behind the ritual, the person behind the words, the person that is waiting for us in this Mass, the shepherd.